Hi, I'm Shannon, pastor at Sturgeon Bay Community Church. I want to thank you for joining us during our study of the book of Mark, where the theme is that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God. The whole point of studying this book is so that you can find out more about what the Bible has to say about the person and the work and the message of Jesus Christ. I would encourage you to grab a cup of coffee and a notebook, and let's dive into the book of Mark. And I hope that you could join us sometime soon for a live service where ministry happens in relationships and you can get connected to other brothers and sisters in the faith. See you soon. The follow-up to that is that the apostles were not really excited about it. And so they head off to the boats to leave, and we're going to be picking up there today. As we get ready to do that, though, I wanted to share with you a story that I promise ties in. Um, I have a, a son named Will, and uh, his middle name is Theo, so we call him our little W.T. Wild Man. Will is one of these mechanically-minded kids, you know. From the earliest days, Will has been a kid that if it moves, if it has moving parts, he wants to understand how it works and generally take it apart modify it, put it back together, make it bigger, better, faster. That's just Will. That's how he is. We took him to the farm, and at three years old, he's crawling up on the tractors and trying to figure out how it all works and nearly started the thing. Uh, when On my motorcycles, he wants to know what's on the handle, how's that work, what's this do, why is that part hot? He just, he just wants it's mechanical. That's what his little brain does. Uh, if it's got wheels, Will is all over it. Um, we go to car shows. Will's the one who picks out his favorite. We go to people's houses like we did to John's, and he's on John's motorcycle without asking and telling John how the handles work. And That's Will. The hood's open in the garage. Will and Mason are going to be up under there trying to figure out how it works. That's just, it's a mechanical mind. He loves tools, too. And so what I know about Will is that um, ever since he was a little bitty kid, he kind of figures out how things work, and he's really comfortable with tools. And so he has his own drill. And uh, it's only a little six volt. Now, he doesn't know that. He thinks it's just like dad's. But it's a six volt, so it doesn't have that much torque. But it's not uncommon for me to come out in the garage and find Will building something and generally doing it correctly. <laughs> He's just that way. At, at three and a half, he was putting up trim boards at our old house in the basement. And it just, he just seems to know how to operate. It's, it's Will. That's what he does. So... It's not surprising to us that when Will was five, he got his own riding lawnmower. And so Will, Will, and I kid you not, Will drives all around the property in his riding lawnmower. He likes to have the trailer on the back, which he knows how to take on and off now. And, and he'll put things in it and haul it from one side of the property to the other. And he just likes to help. That's Will. Well, I know that, and Kim knows that. But we had some people over a little while back, and they're... Um, well, they're city folks, and no, no other way to put that. You know, bless your heart. Uh, but so Will, Will's out there getting his lawnmower all fired up, and, and the lady comes in really concerned. Your son is getting on one of the lawnmowers. Yeah, is it the orange one? Yeah, well, that's his. And, and the look of just complete befuddlement on their face was great. We loved it. But they're, they're just trying to figure out, you're going to let him ride a lawnmower? Now, here's what I know as dad. I know that on that lawnmower... There's a little self-tapping screw right there on the throttle. It only goes so far. Now, he hasn't figured that out yet. He will soon because it's just a Phillips head. It, it's not going to be long. He's going to figure out how to you know, put a supercharger on it or something. But, but we've, uh, we've got to keep the hood locked on the truck, I think. But Will, has, has, he's, he rides all around the property. But look, he's only going to go so fast, right? And it's a lawnmower, but the blade... It's not engaged. There's no belt. Now, he doesn't know that. So it's okay. 
But as dad, I've made sure that he has some liberties and some freedoms, but it only goes so far. He's still safe. I got this. Now, right now, you may think that I'm somehow vying for, you know, father of the year or teaching you lessons on how to parent like a Texan. But what we're, what we're trying to do with Will is give him the freedoms to exercise his God-given abilities and talents and how that really cool little brain works. But he's safe. There's limitations there. I'm not giving him a 24-volt drill to rip his arm in half. I'm giving him a little 6-volt drill, which might twist, and he'll learn, and then he'll figure out how to do it in the future. Jesus sent those apostles out in that boat that afternoon. They weren't in real danger. Jesus, in other words, he's saying, I got this. They go out there on the lake into, into that gale. Jesus is God. He knew the gale was coming. He knew what was going to happen. They're okay. You got three of them are professional fishermen. You're okay. But Jesus is right there. And, it, it, and there's a lesson we're going to look at today, and it really has to do with this. When you're in the will of God, where God has told you to go, where God has put you, the storms of life are going to come, okay? You're okay. Nothing's going to befall you that isn't common to man. And Christ is right there. He was on the mountain for the disciples. He, he could see what was going on. It wasn't that far. It's like, Dad, look, the governor's on the tractor. I, I got this. You're okay. You've got your freedoms. But Jesus is still right there to catch you in case it starts to go bad. So we're going to be looking at that lesson today as we go on. One last little picture that I think is fun because we're having one of these dad moments. We went down to help at City on a Hill, and Jim Robinson's getting nervous right now because he knows what's coming. But we, took, uh, we, we went down to City on a Hill, and we took Will with us, and we were hauling all these medical supplies in, and here's you know, a little five-year-old Will carrying boxes, and he just wanted to be in there up and down the stairs being a worker man with Dad, and he's doing a great job. And so afterwards, we went to Cheesecake Factory, and Jim Robinson did this to me. He bought that piece of cake for my son. Are you seeing the size of that cake? He ate every bite of that piece of cake and slept for 14 hours. It was hysterical. That's Will. Father God, I just want to thank you for the example you've set us as a father. I thank you for the way you loved your apostles. I love, I love you and thank you for your patience. I thank you for the way that as our Father, you're, you're right there for us. You show us your will, you call us to your will, and, and you protect us too. Father God, I just pray today as we look at your word, as we see what your, your apostle Mark did, I just pray that, uh, or how he recorded, I just pray that you'll help the words leap off the page and the application to be so real in our lives today that uh, we leave here changed. So God, this is our prayer in your name, through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Word of the day, have courage and don't be afraid. It is me. This is recorded in Mark's Gospel, chapter 6. And between verses 48 and 50, we have kind of this culminating moment, this, this crescendo here where Jesus just says, calm down, it's me, it is I. And in that moment, we really start to see a transformation happen in, in Jesus' handling of his apostles. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Mark, chapter 6 today. Verses 45 to 56. So Mark chapter 6, verses 45 to 56 reads as follows. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. After he said goodbye to them, he went away to the mountain to pray. Well into the night, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he, Jesus, was alone on the land. He saw the apostles straining at the oars because the wind was against them. 
Very early in the morning, he came towards them walking on the sea and wanted to pass by them. When they saw him walking on the sea, they thought he was a ghost and cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately, he spoke with them and said, Have courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he got in the boat with them, and the wind ceased. They were completely astounded because they had not understood about the loaves. Instead, their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to shore at Gennesaret and anchored there. As they got out of the boat, people immediately recognized him. They hurried through that region and began to carry the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he went, into villages or towns or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged them that they might touch just the end of his robe. And everyone who touched it was healed. Today's outline looks like this. We're going to look at how it's reflect time again. Then we're going to move to the Moses parallels that abound, and then a second chance to get it. So if you weren't here last week, let's kind of set the stage. Jesus has, has a crowd has gathered around him in the wilderness. There's 5,000 men along with their families. And we talked a bit about why would Scripture say 5,000 men but not mention their families, and, and some of the other Gospels do. And we had mentioned that that's what you call a seed text or a leading text that what Jesus was trying to do is make sure, and Mark in particular, is making sure you realize it wasn't just the men Jesus was teaching to, which would have been the practice of the rabbis of his day. Because after all, back then, what are women? <laughs> You're supposed to be home barefoot pregnant in the kitchen, right? And so what happens here is that Jesus is teaching men and women and children, suffer not the children to come unto me. There's neither male nor female nor Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free in Christ, for all are equal. And while our roles may be different, our, our relationship before Jesus is a personal one. And all of us should, becoming, should be becoming stewards who rightly divide the word of truth. So this leading, this seed text was really important in the book of Mark. So these thousands of people have gathered, and they're hungry, for heaven's sakes. They're out in the wilderness, and it's been hours or even a day or two since some of these people have eaten. And Jesus asks, how much food do we have here to feed these people? Because the apostles are saying, send them on. Let these people go. They need to go away. It's, it's our turn to be alone. We need to process all that just happened. And Jesus said, how much food do we have? And he takes five loaves and two fish, and then he feeds this, this crowd of some twelve to 15,000 people. And left over are exactly how many baskets full of food? One for each apostle, one for each tribe of Israel, one for the number of completeness in God's economy. And the apostles are standing there holding them. And are the apostles all going, oh, what a beautiful moment. Go, J.C. Are they like, he's the man. I'm with him. Is that how the apostles all act? No. No, they're hardened hearts. They're angry. They're upset about it. They want to, And Jesus says, look, just go get in the boat. Head on out to sea. I'll catch up with you. You know, we'll, we'll connect later. Why don't you just head on out? And where do they go? They're going to Bethsaida. You know what Bethsaida is? Home. They're going home. They've had enough. You know, I've been traveling all over the land. I've been doing the things with you. I've walked around. I've seen the healings. It's all good. It's amazing. We don't have any time to ourselves. We're tired. We were supposed to have a break. It was supposed to be vacation day yet. Here comes the ministry again. We were supposed to be taking some time for ourselves, and you're supposed to be talking to us to help us process what we've been through. And what do we do? Oh, we're going to feed a massive crowd. All right, fine. They're going home. So here's who gets in the boat. Let's think about this. The apostles. 
The apostles include at least three fishermen. There's James and John, the sons of Zebedee, right? And there's Peter. These guys are professional fishermen. And these professional fishermen are going to go get in the boat with <laughs> Dr. Luke. You know, and Luke was probably like, yeah, I've got a 42-footer myself, <laughs> doctor, you know. And, but then, then, you, then you got Matthew. He's got all the cash. He's kind of like, oh, am I going to get a splinter? You know, my hands are very fine. And you got Simon the Zealot, like, hey, where do I put my dagger? You know, and then you got all these other people getting in the boat. They're not all a bunch of seafaring uh, sailors. You understand that? So when they go out and they get in the boat and they head out to sea, if they start to have wind or a gale or waves, here's what's going to happen. Now think about this across the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Mark records it like this. Because his teacher is Peter, right? Peter's like, yeah, there was a wind, uh, you know, a little breeze, and it came from the north. And so all night, we just weren't getting anywhere, man. We're rowing, rowing, rowing. Luke tells it, what's the storm like? Oh, it was a gale, and it was like, the wave is up, and wave is down, and we're going to die. And James and John are like, settle down, boss. It's just a little breeze. It's all good. Just a little wave, no biggie. It's not, it's not a storm, it's just a breeze. But it's funny, when you read the apostles' accounts, it sounds like this horrible storm they're in. But to Peter and the guys, ah, it's a breeze. Hey, listen, who's up on the mountain praying, watching this take place? Jesus. What was it moved upon the face of the waters in the Genesis? What was that again? Spirit of the Lord moved upon the face of the waters. And then, who was it said, let there be light, the word became flesh. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. Jesus is the Word. The Word does the speaking of creation. Who created the waves and the wind? And who created the mountains and the seas? <laughs> Jesus knew exactly how hard the wind was going to be blowing. Jesus knew they were going to head home to Bethsaida and that they weren't going to go anywhere all night long. <laughs> Jesus is like dad on the porch watching his son on his little riding lawnmower knowing you're okay. It's only going to go, but so far. And, and while there's some people think, do you realize your apostles are out in a storm? Jesus was like, it's just a breeze. It's okay. It's all good. They're fine. They're right there. I'm with the Father. And I can almost imagine Jesus like a dad just looking over every once in a while going, <laughs> they're good. You know, and praying a little bit further and looking over. Oh, I bet they're tired by now. It's okay. They're right where he needed them to be. You know what they needed to be doing out there? Jesus gave them a chance in the midst of this to be processing what they just went through. They just watched 5,000 men along with their families. So let's figure twelve to 15,000 people eat off five loaves and two fish and have exactly 12 baskets left over. They just got to watch people healed of lifelong diseases. They got to hear Jesus teaching messages. And what was Jesus' message he was teaching? He was teaching about the law. He was teaching about the love of God. Blessed are those. They're hearing Jesus' teaching, but it's not sinking in. It's just not getting through. These guys still see him as a, as a great miracle worker, as a prophet, but it's just not getting through their thick skulls who he is. Jesus gives them another chance to head out to the lake and process this a bit. You need some time alone? Here you go. Here's you some time alone. You're going to have a wind all night long from the north. You're not getting anywhere. You'll row all night. You're not getting anywhere. The fish aren't going to be biting, so might as well take your time to process what's going on. They clearly don't use their time well. But Jesus looks down. He knows they're okay. But Jesus is with the Father. You know why Christ is with the Father? 
We see Jesus go in to pray whenever his soul is heavy, whenever a difficult decision has to be made, or when he's frustrated, or times are challenging, or he is spent. He goes to the Father in prayer. A lot of times he goes to the Father in prayer to prepare for the next stage. And he's just been let down dramatically by the apostles that have been following him around for a year. He sent them out to do the work, and they did. They went out and they, they healed people, and then they cast out demons. Holy cow, they did all that, and then they come back, and what do they do? They're upset because they have to serve this crowd of thousands when, when they just wanted to talk with Jesus. And where's their heart? Their heart isn't, these people need to hear the truth. Their heart is like, can you send them away so we can kind of do that debrief you promised us? We're supposed to have vacation, you know. Jesus is frustrated. Do they not get it? It's not just Peter that's the knucklehead. It's all of them. Their hearts were hardened. Listen, that verse was really, really important. Oops, that verse is really important. It says, they had not understood about the loaves. Instead, their hearts were hardened. Jesus is frustrated, and he's praying, and he's with the Father, and it's like the Father looking at his kids going, they're just not getting it. i got to start over again. And that's kind of where this whole narrative ends up. So, the revisiting and reflecting, it's, it's Jesus telling them, you know, you guys get in the boat. I'll finish up here. I'll, I'll handle this. Okay, clearly your heart's in the wrong place, so I'll take care of this. Also, they're heading for Bethsaida, which was home. So they're going home. They're done. They're checking out. Jesus goes to the mountain to pray, and the apostles are given lots of time alone in the boat. That's what's happening at this moment in time. But the next part of this that's so important as we read through this passage are all these illustrations, allusions, reflections back to Moses. Now, we are 20th and 21st century Western American folks. Most of us in this room did not grow up steeped in studying the Torah and the Mishnah. Am I right? I mean, if you did, would you raise your hand? Because this is really a fascinating moment. Okay, I forget that, that Annie is in the first service, and she did, <laughs> and I say things like that, then I'm like, oh, wait, one of us did, so I thought I'd give us another chance just in case any of you did, but if you grew up steeped in the Torah, in the books of Moses and in the Mishnah, if that's how you grew up, there's some illustrations that are going to explode off the page to you, and they exploded off the page, as it were, to the apostles in this day, because here's what happens in verse 40. Jesus is going to divide the crowd. In verse 50, he says, don't be afraid, it is I. In verse 52, he says, don't understand about the loaves, their hearts were hardened. In verse 42 and 44, there's bread provided in the desert. And in verse 48, God is passing by them. Let me unpack these for you. In Exodus chapter 18, verse 21, it reads exactly like this. You should select from the people able men, God-fearing, trustworthy, and hating dishonest prophet. Place them over the people as commander of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. How did Jesus divide the crowd of the 5,000 men and their families? How did he divide it? 5,000 men, and you've got your families. And then he breaks them into hundreds and fifties tens and he breaks them into these groups into these organized groups so that as the food comes out the food is distributed accordingly in those places now you'd probably didn't pick up on that did you because to you it's just like well it just makes sense but to the hebrew people when he broke them up that way and divided them like that it was clearly an illustration right back to moses and jesus who is the same yesterday today and forever is reminding the people that jesus is the messiah the son of god and the second illustration we come to exodus chapter 3 verses 13 through 14 
And then Moses asked God, If I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. What's God's name for himself? I am. What's Jesus say when he walks up to the boat on the water? Don't be afraid. Exactly right. Thank you. Now, in our English transliteration, it, it reads, Don't be afraid, it is I. But in the Aramaic in which Jesus was speaking to them, the common Semitic language of the people, it's the same thing. He says, Don't be afraid, I am. Now, those apostles are in that boat just, What? I am. That's what Jesus is saying. As we move on, Exodus chapter 16, verses 11 and 12. The Lord spoke to Moses, I have heard the complaints of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will eat bread until you are full. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. What happens in this verse? Manna. The manna comes from heaven. Manna means, what's that? And so this is the Israelites going, what's this food? What's this white stuff all over the ground? And, and it comes together. It was the color and the shape of coriander, and you packed it together, and it made a bread, and they had food. And they had plenty of food, and it was a miraculous thing from heaven right until they walked into the promised land for 40 years. Every day in the desert, God provided bread for the people that needed it. Hey, what was that thing that Satan was trying to tempt Jesus with? Remember when he went into the desert? What was the first of the temptations? What was that? Go ahead, be bold. What was that thing? Turn these stones into bread. Satan wants to tempt Jesus. Turn the stones into bread. He says, no, man doesn't live by bread alone, but upon every word of God. In other words, it's not time, punk. The time's going to come. They're going to hear the word. They're going to get the bread. But this isn't the time right now. You don't make the rules I do. I'm God, and you're condemned. <laughs> just, just for a reminder. But when the time was right, as it was in the desert, God provided for people. He provided the bread in the desert. And when the time was right for the crowd, they had been fed on the word of God, and now God made provision for the people. The time was right, and out of, out of stones, out of, out of the desert, comes people being fed. And let me tell you something. The Israelite people on that mountainside that day, they didn't miss that. Exodus 33, 19 through 20. He, God said, I will cause all of my goodness to pass in front of you, Moses, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion upon who I will have compassion. But he added, you cannot see my face, for humans cannot see me and live. The Lord said, here is a place near me. You are to stand on the rock, and when my glory passes, I will put you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I've passed by. God uh, was in conference with Moses up there on Mount Sinai. And Moses was in the Shekinah glory, just near God. And it said that when he came back down the mountain, he radiated so much that it scared the people. And Moses just wants to see God. And God said, you can't see me. But Jesus is saying, look at me. I am. Jesus is God in the flesh, that beautiful mystery of 100% God, 100% man. And, and we get to look and see those apostles. They see God in the flesh. And what is it that Jesus wanted to do when, he, when he's walking out there across that water? What is that strange verse that says he wanted to pass by them? The readers of Mark, unlike us today, would have instantaneously drawn the parallel. He wanted to 
pass by them. That turn of phrase was peculiar. And the fact that it was used there was really important. And what Peter had relayed to Mark and what Mark wants us all to hear is Jesus' intention was to pass by the apostles and for them just to get a glimpse of God who made the water walking on the water by them. But their faith was so weak. Their understanding was so shallow. They were so dim at that point. You know, not, not, not sharp as a marble here, folks. I'm sorry. And as, as Jesus walks by these people, instead of going, Oh, we've been in the presence of God all this time, which is what they should have picked up on by now, you'd think. Instead, they're horrified. It's a ghost! And they freak out in the boat. Ah, it's a boat. And now it's group think, freak out. Everybody's going crazy. And Jesus goes, would you calm down? I am. But their hearts were hardened. You see, they didn't get, they didn't get the loaves. The apostles just, they missed it. Bread in the desert, anyone? Food from the hungry? Did, did, did you get that, apostles? Nope. You know, you're out here on the lake all night. You can see shore. You can't quite get there. You move. The wind moves. You're going over here. The wind moves. And Jesus is up on the mountain praying. And the wind moves. And all the people have been fed. And you're still sitting out here. I've, I've healed the sick. I've given sight to the blind. I've raised the dead. Is anybody paying attention? Nope. Their hearts are hardened. They're angry. They want to go home. So Jesus does an even more dramatic miracle. And they are astonished. Astonished. They just, they didn't. They didn't get it. How do you miss all those illustrations? Well, here's the question. How do we? Why is it that we miss that Jesus is God? Folks, it's this way. God wants you to come to him on your own terms. He's going to call. He's going to pull. He's going to prod. But it's up to you to take that step to allow him to be Lord and Savior. You see, God's a gentleman. He doesn't force himself into your heart. He doesn't hold you down and jump in and now you're a Christian. Oh, I didn't want to be a Christian. It's your choice. It's your decision. And these apostles, like us today, sometimes struggle with really surrendering ourselves and letting the realities dawn, us, dawn upon us that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. But that's exactly what he was giving them the chance to do. How many of you have teenagers? Well, I'm about to be there. I got, what, 11 months left. Uh-oh. For years and years and years, I was a youth pastor. And so we used to tell parents all the time that your children, right around age 12 to, to 17, they're going to enter into this thing. Um, it's called rational emotive cognition. Okay, so now all you counselors are like, holy cow, Shannon read a book. Uh, but, but what happens during this time is that, is that the mind, the human mind, starts to enter into this capacity for ration. And you get to look at the rules around you and the things around you, and you get to start to tie the things together for yourself. That's when your parents become raging morons, and you are so much smarter than them. And this time comes to an end right about the time you have kids. And then you realize, wow, my parents were pretty smart. They're pretty all right. Now they're pretty smart. Hey, Dad, how do you do the, you know, it's remarkable how, how this happens. The apostles have Jesus letting them come to the recognition that he is God. Jesus never said, hey, I'm the Messiah, the Son of God. I was came, come down to earth. I was born of a virgin. I became flesh. I do miracles because I'm God. 
I can tell you the future because I'm already there, because I'm, you know, omnipresent. Get it? I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to come back to life because I'm the Lord over life and death. Understand? I command life and death. I'm the Lord over the grave because I'm Jesus, the Son of God, and everybody should remember that message and come follow me. Jesus doesn't do that. Does it ever frustrate you that he didn't? Wouldn't it be easier sometimes if Jesus just said, and by the way, here's the wrap-up. I'm God. Deal with it. He doesn't. What he does is he teaches you, and he gives you the opportunity to be able to come to him to understand and to take that leap of faith on your own. And for these apostles, it just, it just wasn't sinking in. It just wasn't getting through the hard heads. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, it does a little later. And, and by the way, who is it that finally comes out and blurts out who you are? It's Mark's teacher, Peter. Later on, who do you say that I am? And it's going to be much later on, by the way. And who is it? It's Peter. You are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus says, way to go, little rock. Way to go, pebble boy. You got it. You grasped it. And that thing that you're talking about, that rock, that's the foundation that you just articulated. That's the foundation upon which I'm going to build my church. And you guys are going to start this. You're going you're to be the beginning of this church. And what that church does, this church for the next 2,000 plus years, what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Those things that you secure here are forever secure in heaven. How beautiful is that picture? Those things that you release and just have to go, I can't. Those laws that you say are no longer applicable. Those are the Old Testament. They no longer bind you today. They're released from that. They're released and counted as such in heaven. What a beautiful picture, but, 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 but not yet. At this point, they're pouting adolescents in a boat all night long, trying to go home in a storm or wind, and they're paddling along, trying to get to that shore. They can see it, but they just can't, quit. They can't quite get there. And Jesus is watching them all night going, they're okay. You're all right. It's not that bad a storm. And it's, it's, it's not going to stop either because I sent it. So you goofballs can sit out there on the lake all night while I do what I need to do. And then, and then, and then later on this morning, I'm going to come over and get you, and we're going to go where you need to go in the first place. You know why Jesus knows all that? Because he's the Messiah, the Son of God. You know why Jesus has got it? He made it. It's all working according to a plan. And although they frustrate him, just like parents, he loves them and he makes a way for them. And really, that's where we end up today. Patient Jesus is letting his disciples see things through new eyes. Opened eyes and hearts after having completely missed things the first time around. In other words, they've been taking it all for granted. And now Jesus has spent the night in prayer with the Father. He's going to walk out on the lake, give them a really clear sign, and he's going to say, I am. Get it? Hey, all night you've been trying to beat the wind ashore. Really? You guys are sailors, you know? Tacking anyone? Get it? I am. He's going to get in the boat with them, and the wind's going to stop. He commands the winds and the waves. He walks on water. He even said, I am. All of these illustrations, all of the healing, all of the teaching, all of the command of the Old Testament in a way that nobody should have. To know the Torah the way Jesus taught with such authority. How are they not understanding? 
But patient Jesus is going to go, okay, let's try again. And what do they do? They go over to the shore in Gennesaret. They get out of the boat, and people immediately recognize Jesus. They hurried throughout the region and began to carry the sick on mats. And were, Here we go again. Here come the healings. They're going to follow Jesus as he walks. As his disciples, he's going to teach. He's going to heal. He's going to preach. They're going to do this all again. But this time, friends, here's what happens. All those apostles who watched him feed the 5,000, who watched him heal, who watched him raise the dead, who watched the blind see, who watched the guy come through the roof of the house, they tore the roof off the house. Thanks, dudes. And, and he's going he's gonna to heal this crippled guy. All this is going to happen again, including he's going to feed another big crowd of 4,000 or so people. It's going to happen again. Jesus is patiently going to reinforce all those messages again until eventually the answer comes, you are the Christ the Son of the living God. But how many of us in our world today, you or your friends or your acquaintances, you see all the stories of Jesus. You hear all the message of Jesus. You see the miracles happen in people's lives. You hear the testimony of transformed people. You hear the words of Jesus, I am. Yet, you just keep pushing him away. I don't, I don't know. I, 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 no, it doesn't make sense. No, but, 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 but. And I read in that science book about, you know, the, the amoeba and then the protozoic mud. And then all of a sudden there were apes. And then we were on the moon. And, stop it. I made you. My fingerprint is in DNA. Do you see the handprint of God in all that is? These aren't accidents. Look to all the planets in the galaxy. You're not going to find it again. I made you. I made you special. I love you. I came down and lived amongst you to have a relationship with you. I am. But how many of us go through life and we just imagine that somehow we're out here on our own and, and just like our little W.T. Wild Man, you think you're out there on that lawnmower all by yourself and it's all you and you're totally free and there's nothing out there. Is that the truth? No. That lawnmower's got a governor on it. And by the way, don't mess with it. That blade doesn't work. Okay? It's only going to go but so fast. Hey, it's just a breeze. God's got this. Not you. Don't imagine yourself bigger than you are. God's got this. And like those apostles out there on the lake, he's only going to let it go so far for you. You're still under his hand. Listen, nothing snatches you out of the hand of Jesus Christ. Nothing will carry you away from his love. What's been bound on earth is bound in heaven. You're okay. What's been freed and released on earth, that forgiveness, that forgiveness is in heaven. You're okay. You're a child of Jesus Christ. You, you might even leave life on earth. It might end. You know, that, that disease might win. That car wreck you weren't anticipating might happen. That accident might take place. It's okay. It, it, he's got you. To be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. Let, let's, not, let's not miss. But it's Jesus' way of saying, I want you to come to me because you want to, because you love me. A gentleman Jesus who loves you and who gives you the chance to come to him is what we're talking about here. So as we come to this time of prayer and a focus here at the end of this service, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Would you close your eyes? Would you bow your heads? Would you just get in front of Jesus for a minute? Would you just... Get in front of God. The God who moved upon the face of the water, who said, 
Let there be light. The God who separated the day from the night, the land from the God, the, the God that created everything that lives and breathes and who knows you and loves you. The God who's saying, I got this. The God who's saying, you've got these freedoms, but I'm here to save. In that moment with that Savior that loves you, imagine him on that mountain. Praying for you. You daft person who keeps looking around trying to find your meaning in other things. You silly teenager. You think you know it all. Silly kid. You really think that I would let you loose without protections? I love you. I want to be in a relationship with you. I want you to come to me. Father God, in this moment, we find ourselves coming to some realizations. God, realizations that you knew us, that you loved us before the foundations of this earth. God, you knew what we would do. And God, like you knew that that breeze was going to come all night long for your apostles, you've given us life as an opportunity to, to go through the struggles, through the frustrations in order that we ultimately come to the realization that you are Lord of the storm, that you're the God who loves us and hasn't abandoned us. Lord, you're there loving each one of us, even through our foolish decisions, even through our, our blindness, even through our daftness, that you continually knock on the doors of our heart and say, come, follow me. Lord, I like to think that as those fishermen were in that boat on that sea that night, <clears throat> rowing against just a persistent, unending wind, up and down the waves, back and forth, but never really getting anywhere. That each one of them had to think about the day when you call them. I imagine James and John in their own boat hearing, come and follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. The irony of that at that moment. I, I like to think of Peter hearing, come follow me. And all that Peter realized, he gave up to follow Jesus. I think of Matthew leaving behind his financial security and all that wealth that he had his identity in to be poor and follow Jesus. And I wonder what you're saying inside of the hearts in this room. What are the things that you're asking us to realize really don't matter except at the call that you place on our life to follow you, to serve you? Lord, you've asked us to, to love justice, to seek mercy, to walk humbly before our God. Lord, I wonder how many of us are doing that today and how many of us are still imagining that we got this on our own. Lord, I pray that you forgive us for our foolishness and that you reveal yourself, that you are I am, and that in you there is meaning and purpose and security. And I just pray that that really seeks in, sinks in this week as we ponder what we've listened and heard today. I pray that we will continue to research and read and let these words come off the page and have application in our lives. And Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit will guide and make the application personal to all of us. Lord, we pray these things in the name of Jesus, through the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen.